Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. It's me and Owen again. Um, and our final tournaments of the season. Uh, the WTA actually just finished the second tier finals, uh, which is a little higher than a 500, a little low, uh, lower than uh, than a 1,000. Be had my one, which is great for me as a Brazilian Canadian. Um, but then the WTA finals are starting, and the w- the ATP is still running on the Paris Masters, which we will avoid for today. But we will get back to it at uh, the end of the tournament. So don't worry about it. We we still got to cover it um, in this podcast. But today, uh, we are going to start off with uh, the WTA Finals, which is uh, the, well, everybody knows it, the final tournament of the season. And it should just be a big party. It should just be, like, in the sense that, like, should be, like, a big end-of-the-season um, celebratory huge tournament with um, great crowds and a great venue. Um, and because of uh, recent issues that the WTA has had in the past couple of years it hasn't really been that way even though the field is amazing it's probably some of the best top eight uh that we've had um i don't even know like in in years maybe like i feel like every single one of these these women uh is a huge threat to this title uh they're going to go for it and it's going to be great tennis but um as per what i've looked uh online just before coming over here this podcast the, the central court on the wta finals is only about four thousand seats, which is ludicrous. It's very, it's very small venue. Uh, but we'll get into this. Uh, but before, how are you doing, Owen? Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. And um, yeah, it's it's a shame that the organization of this tournament has been terrible this year. Like they only figured out where it was going to be very recently, and then they only got the stadium fully built even more recently than that. And it's it's not. I'm I'm not one of the people who's complaining about like oh, they're like never going to get it built in time because they did. I think it's more just the fact that they left it so late kind of shows that they didn't prioritize it as much as they should have. And, you know, like you said, it's a great field. This should be a big tournament. Um, The quality of play is going to be very good, I think. Um, And I I don't know if everyone has a chance to win it, but I think probably like four or five, six players do. Like, I think the the top six is incredibly strong right now. Mm. Um, And... um, so yeah, I um I, I'm excited just to see how it how it unfolds, and hopefully the the tournament itself is a lot better than the the lead up to it. Mm, yeah, and as we speak, we already had two matches happened. Uh, I don't know when the the next one starts at the time zone. I haven't really gotten used to it yet because I was still thinking much of like the Asia and now Europe in, uh, in the ATP. So getting back to Cancun, I'm just kind of having to readjust to like the uh the the scheduling, but um. Rybakina lost to Pegula, and I think it was like a 6-4-6-1, I want to say, but I don't really recall. 7-5 something? 7-5-6-2. 7-5-6-2, which is still a pretty um, comprehensive scoreline for Pegula. Um, and Sabalinka just handed a double bagel to alternate Maria Sakari. Um, Sakari, who's, being, who's had like a highs and lows season, um, didn't really do great in the slams, but then won her first uh, WTA 1000 title and second title of the season um, in Guadalajara not too long ago. So in, in Mexico still, like, so I won't say that she should have an advantage about it, but like she at least kind of coming back to a place where she probably has good memories, at least in terms of like Mexico as a whole. We know Mexico is a big country, but um, yeah, but I, I guess as you said, especially after those two matches, it kind of gives you a better sense of like maybe who's going to be the favorite 
and it doesn't look like Sakari is, and maybe not even Rybakina at this point. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I think there are a few takeaways from these two matches. I mean, the first one is that Sabalenka is, you know, uh, dis- absolute destroyer. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's an amazing scoreline to put on uh, someone else at the, you know, year-end finals. Um, and, you know, Sakari, I know she was the alternate, but still that scoreline is incredible. So I think... I think you have to make Sabalenka the favorite. I think, you know, she won it last year. Um, and um, I think when she's at her best, she's got the highest level in the fields. And, you know, that that scoreline just speaks to what she can do. Um, and then I think the other match, um, I, I think for me, the headline is more kind of Rabakina losing in this way rather than Pagula winning. It's a very good win for Pagula. But I think, I think Rabakina, she's a fantastic player. And I think she might be one of the best front runners on tour. I think that when when she gets ahead, she's almost impossible to stop. But I think there have been a few results this year that suggest that she's maybe not the best fighter. Um, you know, she um, she went down to Alonso Jabir at Wimbledon, 6-1 in the third. Um, here, you know, close first set, lopsided second set. Um, and I, I, I do think she's a better player than Pugula. So I think... Um, I think that that scoreline is not great. Um, so that that might be something I'll keep an eye on in the future. But um, I think Pagula is another one who can win this tournament. You know, she has her struggles in majors, but this this is formatted differently. The pressure might not be quite the same. So I'll have my eye on her too. Hmm. Yeah, I think from the highlights, one of the things that I saw that, well, and again from the highlights, it's a small sample size of shots that was that were happening, but. Um, just Pagula is just like returning really well. So it might just be a case as well, like um, Pagula just having a really good day at that time. And uh, it started a little rough. Rebecca went up front, but um, Pagula just got back in the game and um, just started being more aggressive, I think. Maybe, I think that's probably one of the things that you say. Maybe uh, Rebecca started getting too passive and uh, just went on. Uh, spiral negatively in Rabakina's way, which it means there's not going to be any emotions shown, but I guess her game kind of shows when she's not really at her best, uh, uh, maybe mentally even. So yeah, we'll see that how that one goes, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think the stat here is that Rabakina won 56% of points on her first serve. Um, I think she probably is the best first serve on tour, so yeah. when, it, when it's that low, I think... Um, that speaks to how well Fabula is returning and also the kind of day Rabakina was having. Yeah, and normally Rabakina is like a low percentage of her subs in as well, right? She's normally like ranks about like 50 to 60 max. Yeah. When she has a good day, is like 60%. Yeah, she made 58%. Yeah. So yeah, it's like if she's not winning at least like 70% of her first serves, I feel like it's not really uh, her her a, a game that's coming. So yeah. Yeah, I, I think just... Like and usually she wins her her first serve winning points on it is so automatic you know when um, yeah. the Australian Open I was at her semifinal with Azarenka um who um who's a fantastic returner and um oh my God Rabakina was so dominant behind the serve I mean not that she didn't get broken I think she probably I think she got broken three times in total but in the first set she made about half of her first serves and she still won it and um I remember. Th- like she can still go up a gear, um, and she did, and she won the second set more easily. Um, so it's interesting to see. I think the score line is almost how she usually beats her opponents. Like yeah. maybe at first set, and then she picks up steam. Um, so yeah, huge credit to Pagula for winning that one. Yeah, maybe some sort of like Stan Wawrinka vibes to it, like just like a very low starter, but when she picks up steam, just kind of goes for it. Yeah, although it's interesting. I feel like Stan is like the the diesel tank, you know? Yeah. Like he, uh, it's like uh, you know, just like rumbling and then slowly like picks up steam. I feel like he's like the snowball rolling down the hill, where eventually okay. it's so heavy that you just get crushed by everything. Uh, I don't know. Rabakina is interesting. I feel like, and maybe it has to do with her demeanor, but I feel like with her, it's more like she can switch on and off much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, and usually on because she's ranked so high. Um, but yeah, I I do wonder if. Um, like, I think her psychology is kind of hard to tell, like, what her, some of her mental weaknesses might be. What, like we talked about, she might not be the best at, at fighting from behind. So, um, like, but then at her best, she can look, like, completely unflappable. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to learn more about that in the future. Yeah. 
Um, what do you think about Shrianta? Because I don't think you've mentioned anything about her. You said Sabalenka is the favorite. Obviously, Shrianta was number one for most of this year, if not just because of how dominant she was last year. But at the same time, I think... Um, what do you think are her chances? I think, like, in general, this the conditions kind of uh, favor Sabalenka more, and we kind of need to see how she's going to deal today in her match. Uh, maybe to get just, like, a feel of, like, how her week's going to go, but how much would you, would you attribute uh, Shriantek, like, a chance of winning this this tournament? I, I think her chances are pretty good. I mean, you know, since the U.S. Open, where she went out and pretty not ideal fashion to Ostapenko. She she won in China and um and in the semis there she beat Coco Goff really comfortably. And I feel like I feel like that was key because when Goff beat her in Cincinnati, um, after Sviantek had destroyed her six or seven times in a row, that had the feeling of, oh, maybe now everything is changing. So I think for Sviantek to sort of restore normalcy there, if that makes sense. And um and, you know, it was just one match, like um but I think that was crucial for her confidence. Her her first match is against at the WCA finals. Um, I think is against uh, Vondrosova. Um, I'm just gonna check to make sure. Uh, yeah, she's actually yeah. playing right now. In fact, yeah, that, yeah, that just started actually. So I, I think I think she should win that one. And I think you know the other players in her group are Goff and Jibber, um, both of whom I think Shviantek matches up pretty well with. Yeah. I think the question is can she beat Sabalenka or Rabakina? Because this year has kind of suggested that she can't really. Um Yeah. You know, I think Sabalenka beat her last year at this tournament. I think I think Rabakina is the worst matchup for Shviantek. Um I think because she just takes away that first strike and um Shviantek can't really get she can't really take the initiative unless she plays like super aggressive and that's not really her style she has to like aim for the corners against her Bakina, uh, and that doesn't really work out um so i think yeah i don't know i i don't think shviantek's gonna win the tournament i think i mean she's still so consistent still i mean she's easily had the best career of anyone in the fields but i think right now she's kind of struggling with those seven like under Bakina matchups so if if she can avoid them I think she'll win, yeah. uh, but if if she has to play one of them, uh, I think she'll lose. What do you? Yeah, think? yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I think especially, I think especially Rabak, and I think there is a, more, a bigger chance that, like for example, Sabalenka will fall on her serve and get a string of double falls that could allow her in. Um, Maybe she's a little bit more rushed. I think Sabalenka's ceiling is slightly higher than Rabakina's, but it's not always that you play at your ceiling, right? So, um, but yeah, I feel like Rabakina is just it, you would you would take it would take her. Um, I think she even is probably more comfortable even playing Fiontech than Sabalenka yeah. in general. I think she kind of just like trusts herself more, and this happens, and she tends to play better when she plays Fiontech. Yeah, yeah. I, I I was actually just thinking that like Rabakina has become like so comfortable in that matchup, and it it almost reminds me of like Djokovic Nadal in that 2015-16 period mm-hmm. on a hardcore, where it's like Djokovic was just like so unfazed by anything Nadal did, and Nadal had to like play out of his mind to make the slightest impact. And you know that's much more dramatic than Rabakina Sviantek, but I think it's kind of similar in that. Sviantek, like Nadal, is like a great, great player, but it's just like her normal game just doesn't have the effects that it's supposed to in that matchup. And the other player knows it, and therefore they can play without any pressure. Um, so that's I'm gonna be really interested to see if Sviantek can turn that around going forward. But I think mm. I, I agree with you that Sabalenka, she's a better shot against Sabalenka, and I think those opening matches yesterday, um, kind of foreshadow that Sabalenka is going to be the more likely opponent if they both get to the knockouts because Rabakina is now far from a guarantee to get out of that group. So Yeah. Yeah, I think the good thing about like in terms of this format, just going a little bit on the tangent here, is that um, unlike the uh, Elite Trophy, which has more players, so like you, you, there's like less room for um, grouping and whatnot, but you play three matches, so like uh, when you hit in a group of three people, like you lose your first match, you're basically guaranteed to like 
not make it. Um, so in that case, even for Rubakina, she still has a pretty solid chance of making it. So if she wins both of her next two matches, which is still not guaranteed easy, but still, um, she could still get like another win and, you know, um, make it count from like games and whatnot, because there's two players that make it past the next round. So if, if Sabalenka gets three, zero and Rubakina still is at one, two, there's still like a good chance. You don't really have to worry much about like the number one player as much as you have to worry about the number two. So, uh, uh, it, it's something that she can, um, probably rely on and she probably will try to win anyways, but, um, but yeah, and I would say that I think it's quite possible as you were saying like that Shantai gets out as the number one in her group. So the chance that she probably would play Sabalenka is most likely in the final. So. Yeah, and I think what you said about Rabakina, like tournaments in this format have also taught us that you can lose in the group stage and then come back to win the whole thing. Yeah. Maybe even beating the person you lost to along the way. You know, exactly. we took that to Federer in 2015, uh, lost to him in straight sets in the group stage and then came back to beat him in straight sets in the final. So so uh, that's a possibility too. Um, what, what do you think of uh, Coco Goff's chances? Uh, do you think, can she win this tournament? Uh, I think it's tough to say. I mean, like, it, you always attribute, like, a level of, um, you know, danger to a Grand Slam champion. Um, and who knows? Maybe she matches up well against um, other players, like, um, like Rabakina, maybe even Sabalenka, uh, and at her best. Two in the third. Yeah. Uh, them, yeah. So, yeah, if she comes up, like, playing as well as that, like, I, I, mean, I don't see why not. Um it's just a matter of like where where is Coco Goff now in her career? Like, what is is this? Did she hit a hit a high at the U.S. Open and like how does she feel? Like, is this something that she's really up a gear in her game, or that was like a really dream two weeks and there's gonna be like some drawbacks and then she's gonna have to pick it up again next year? Like, it's just like a matter of like how how does she feel in her career and how well she believes that she's playing? I guess like and how she's really playing. So, um, I guess we. I will be able to tell a bit more like within like two matches in this group stage, maybe the first one when she plays Fiontech, I think it's going to be pretty key um, to, to tell us, but yeah, but it's so different. Like, so, so the players are so different. The matchups are so different now, the WTA that like it, it gets hard to tell because every different combination makes you like wonder like what's going to be the end result because yeah. So th- there are so many more variables I would say. Yeah, I, I was just thinking it's such a diverse field of styles. Like, um, I mean, you have um, you have the power players, you have uh, heavy toss spin with Iga, you have the great defender in golf, you have Jabir with a variety. Like, I, I was just thinking as much as I, you know, don't really like Fiontek's chances against Sabalenka, I love Goff's chances against Sabalenka because yeah. she literally just last month that her defense can absol- is absolutely more than a match for uh, Sabalenka's offense. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't like Scott's chances against Shriantek. So, um, yeah, you have all these different matchups and permutations. And yeah. uh, so it, I think it's absolutely fascinating. And um, about Goss kind of being in this place in her career, I think I think a come down kind of is natural after you win your first major. Um, but at the same time, I'm not expecting it to be dramatic because she's yeah. been building. You know, she had already made a major final. She won Cincinnati. It's not it's not a Radu Kanu situation where it was so amazingly out of the blue that you're left to wonder, is this the first of like ten or is it like or is that is she never gonna play this well again? You know, with Coco, I think it's fair to say like he's gonna have many more good moments, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um yeah, what whether that'll happen at this tournament, I, I don't know, but I think she absolutely is a contender. I think you know, I honestly wonder if her biggest struggle might be getting out of her group. Um, mm. Because I think she's going to lose to Iga, and I think Jabir is a tough match as well. And, you know, Androzaba is not a gimme either. But I think if she gets out of that and she gets Sabalika next, like, that might almost be easier for her. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I am i don't know. That, that'll that be interesting. Yeah. Even, like, against... Um... Pegula, I feel like it's kind of tough, like not necessarily because I think Pegula in general is a better player, but I feel like, well, she's she's been here in, in Montreal as well, and she's been playing well, like in general, she's kind of, she has like this aspect of a player, which is like, you kind of know what you're going to expect from her, and you know that this level is going to be like 
it's rarely going to dip as low. Um, so it's going to be like, it's, it, it depends a lot on like how you're feeling that day. Like, and, and against Pegula, I would say. Um, so I could see like Pegula taking, taking on, on golf and offering like terrible resistance, like in terms of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm in this matchup right now. But yeah, uh, it's, it could turn into a battle of attrition just because of their styles. Like it could just be long, but yeah. Yeah. And I think they, having played doubles together, they know each other very yeah. well. So going to navigate each other trouble and you know one of the only people we haven't talked about so far is uh vondrosa vibe she's yeah. already off a break on Shriantek. so well, it, it i mean it really does seem like everyone has a chance i mean except maybe sakari i don't know if i don't know if sakari is gonna win after after that and you know rabakina's chances i think of taking a hit after that first match but i like i legitimately think like at least half of the field i wouldn't be surprised like i think sabalenka Shriantek, gall um, Rabakina, Jabur, I would not be surprised if any of them won. Yeah. Um, I think, I think Kabula, Bondarosova, and Sakari have the worst chances, but, you know, even they could surprise her, you know, like, well, like I said, Bondarosova is ahead on Shriantek, who we just talked about for a while. So, yeah. I feel like in terms of, um, <laughs> um, universal justice i feel like ons could could emerge as the winner and nobody would complain about it <laughs> uh love well, that I, wimbledon wimbledon was crazy i yeah. like i i legitimately think like um after she beat like we were all talking about big three with us shiontek sabalika and uh rabakina yeah. and jabur beats two of them back to back like i think that made it a big four and uh i think it's a shame that she didn't um she didn't get that title for yeah her troubles. I mean, you know, Vondrosova totally deserved it, played a really solid final, but I think that Jabur's run was just so amazing, kind of improbable because I didn't expect her to beat yeah. you know, Varan Sabalenka. Uh, and then the whole thing was just kind of emotionally exhausting by the end when it ended in that sort of anticlimactic way. Yeah. But yeah, like, hopefully, uh, she's I think she was struggling with injuries uh, over the last uh, few months or not, like to the end of the season. So it just depends also how, how she shows up. She had to quit. She had to uh, withdraw from a tournament in Tunisia, which it must have been pretty heartbreaking for her, just so that she could be out there to play this one probably. So um, yeah, just hopefully that she's going to show up fully healthy with this one. Yeah. 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 Right, uh, should we talk about uh, Center a little bit? I was about to say, yeah, um, Sinner and Medvedev just played like one of the best matches of the year in Vienna. Did you catch some of that? Did you watch highlights or? I saw the highlights, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> Honestly, there's not much to say. I think that, um, well, there's a lot to say, but the thing is, uh, in terms of like tactical like prowess, I thought it was interesting because like at the end of the third set, it looked like Medvedev was struggling physically, which right. is hard to, to normally like picture. <laughs> Especially yeah. against a player who, against Sinner, who has struggled physically in other matches that weren't as grueling as this. So, yeah. major props to him for like kind of getting his body like up to speed with his his game, and you know, just kind of out Medvedev, Medvedev, just kind of keeping the ball in play, just going in for like those big rallies on the backhand to backhand. Which, by the way, I think Sinner is just far better than Medvedev's. Not that Medvedev is a bad backhand, but. I think Sinner just can do more with it and just, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Medvedev probably has the edge in consistency, so I don't know if I would say better overall, but I think offensively Sinner yeah. is certainly better. And uh, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I was thinking about this, and I kind of wonder if Sinner is now kind of like, I feel like Sinner's ceiling is higher than Medvedev's. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know if that's like a controversial take because Medvedev has achieved much more. And I'm certainly not disputing that, but I think Sinner just, he's just so much better offensively, you know, like Medvedev defends better and he has a better serve, but Sinner, like, I was watching these rallies and it's like, the only way it's going to end is if like Sinner hits a winner or if Sinner hits an error, you know, it all depends on him. And, you know, like maybe one out of 10 times Medvedev is going to get like a backhand winner down the line, but that's not... It's hard to do, you know, like, especially when you're playing someone that powerful. Um, and I think Sinner, his movement's good. His return of serve is good. He's got got good touch most of the time. Um, and so I, I kind of think he's getting to a place where, like, 
he could be like a better player than Medvedev. Yeah. You know, in the like, and I think he and I, and I do think his ceiling is higher. I think if everything clicks for him, I don't know if it will. He could win multiple majors. Um, but I think at at the same time, I I don't want to jump the gun because he he has a problem with five setters and majors. Um, and that comes back to the endurance thing he mentioned. Um, in in some cases, and that's not why he lost all of them. Um, and he also can't beat Djokovic. So that I think like you know as impressive as this win is, it's like I'm not really going to alter my opinion on him greatly until he you know changes one of those things like if he beats Medvedev in a five-setter in a major he beats Alcaraz in a five-setter in a major like then yeah like you can crank up the hype a little bit or if he uh if he beats Djokovic in any match or if he makes a major final then it's like okay yeah this is stuff from him that we have not seen before Mm -hmm. um Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So for now, I'm kind of trying to stay like centered. But um, yeah, what are your thoughts on him? Do you think, does this change your opinion on center in any way? I think it does in the sense that like I feel like he was a lot more patient and like his game like felt a lot more mature. Like maybe the endurance side is 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 better. Um, as you said, like I feel like the five setter is a big question because we always come back to the majors to like gauge like the prowess of like a player in terms of like okay, like this guy's a big deal. Like this guy isn't so so much, and yeah, he's 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 done good stuff in majors, um, especially this year. But yeah, it's gonna. It's going to take more than a 500, I guess, like to call it. Um, although winning in Toronto, I think it granted him a lot more confidence in himself. So he probably thinks higher of himself, which is good um, because he has the game for it. Um, and I agree. I think he has um, he has a lot more offensive power than, than Medvedev. Um, if he can keep up like the defense that he did uh, against Medvedev as well in that match, I think he could at least match it to some degree. I think Medvedev is still better. But if you can like make it harder, even on those exchanges, and like dominate when you're on the offense, I think it 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 can only do good for itself. And um, I think I tweeted something along the lines of uh, uh, how singers sometimes like their voices way too much, and they kind of overdo their performances. Singer kind of singer likes his 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 ground strokes are too much at times, and just kind of like just unleashes it, and it. it goes out <laughs> like there was a, a super easy put away that he put um that he was supposed to be like a dry volley and he just like hit this monstrous forehand and if he was in he was just going to be like wow did you really need to hit that hard but he was out <laughs> and matter was nowhere near he had already stopped playing so like you kind of have to like you know control your your journey a little bit better uh <laughs> yeah. um but yeah I think, that's a, I think that's a great observation that they think is what really killed him in the Wimbledon match against Djokovic, where he uh, he was 0 for 6 on break points, and most of those were like forehand on four suitors. Um, and it's like you like I, I get that that forehand is like a a missile, but you have to hit, you know. Yeah. So, um, and like he, we've seen how dangerous he can be when he does hit it in. So yeah, I. I think like I think you'll find the balance eventually with that, but it um it's it's a work in progress. Yeah, yeah. But it, when it comes to Medvedev, I just think in general because of his years um on tour now, it's given people ample time to just analyze his game and uh, the things that he's done to change it. Um, maybe didn't really sort that as much of an effect that he would have liked. I think um. Uh, Matt Willis posted on his Twitter that it's probably a, a problem of um, of technique. So 
um, if it's if the technique kind of doesn't allow him to do certain things, it's going to be rough. So he kind of is reverting to some of his old tactics, like staying like in the stands to return serve, which works um, for him, but not all the time, as Alcaraz proven <laughs> time and time again, um, except for the U.S. Open. Um, but anyhow, as the U.S. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I've had so I've had a few conversations recently that have kind of reframed the way I think about improvement mm. in tennis. And I think, and I, you know, I think this might be obvious to everyone listening, but I, I didn't think of it this way. I think it's less about adding new shots and more about maximizing what you already have. You know, because I think like I think you are what you are from a certain point. You know, I don't know, maybe late teens, early twenties, like. Medvedev gets on tour, he's lanky, he defends well, really consistent, weird-looking forehand, touch all over the place, big serve, right? And that's that's kind of who he is now, right? So mm-hmm. it's just about make that big serve as big as possible, make that consistent backhand as consistent as possible, make that, you know, maximize that wonky forehand. But the, the point I'm trying to make is yeah. that um, his forehand is never going to be a great forehand in the same way that Tsitsipas's backhand return is never going to be a great backhand or return like that it's just impossible you know it's about minimizing the weaknesses um it's not about turning them into strikes because that just doesn't happen except except to like goat level players like Djokovic was atrocious at net he's now great at net but that that isn't gonna happen with these guys and it I don't know it makes me think like Medvedev you know I think so I think when you're better than Medvedev um he's not um, he's not all of a sudden going to become better than you. Um, like, I think if you can, like, maybe he beats you a few times at the beginning, but I think once you start beating him and you find a way to do it consistently, I don't know if he is adaptable enough to change that. And I don't know if his game is adaptable enough to change that. And I think we've seen that with Djokovic where, yeah, I know Medvedev beat him this year, but, you know, Djokovic was not really in match playing shape and, I think Djokovic now has a pretty solid grip on that rivalry with the Serb and Bali. And we've seen Medvedev can't, he can't get through that. He can't. He lost in straight sets at the U.S. Open. Um, and so now I wonder if Sinner, Sinner lost a bunch in a row, but he's now won two straight. So I kind of start to wonder, like, maybe he's going to have control of this rivalry now. It's probably too soon to say. He's only been, yeah. and they've been close. But, you know, if he's, if he has made that jump where he's now, at or above that level, like, I don't necessarily know what Medvedev would do to beat him, right? Like, he's, like, in these long rallies, what would you have Medvedev do? Like, he yeah. can't, he's not going to overpower him on the forehand. And, uh, well, like I said earlier, I think, like, maybe one out of ten times he can get in a good backhand stand the line that's going to force an error or something. But besides that, I think it's just, like, hoping the center makes an error eventually. Yeah. Yeah, if this is his gameplay, then this is his gameplay. And I think like the backhand is like where he lies like on, on his biggest strength. Like I feel like he he can hit like big, you know, backhands down the line or um the interestingly um backhand inside out that he sometimes like to hit, uh, which is I think those are good shots that you can <clears throat> that you can use to, you know, um change the, the dynamic of a of um of a of a point. But I think one of the biggest things that I feel like my have can improve is is just like going to the net and ending points like he doesn't need to be great at the at the net but like his technique is just is just he's just scared of doing it i feel like at some point like he was okay like i'm just like i gotta do it i'll do it but like now he's just like i'm just so much better here i'll just go back <laughs> so it's just i don't even i don't even say saying i'm not even saying that like oh he should like really try to serve a volley he should really try to like do more approach shots and go for it but like there are clear shots where he's in the advantage and he could just like do a put away volley that doesn't need to be near the lines doesn't need to be a great volley just kind of needs to be in and if he if it is good most likely if the player defense is most likely going to be a lob so he can finish it on the on the overhead which is he is good at um so i just think that this is this is the point of contention that i have a bit like like murray has is having his issues as well with the forehand which is like he builds the point so well and the forehand just kind of lets him down because he just kind of pushes it down the line, but it's not really good enough to hit a winner. It's just passive enough that the other player can come back and just 
play a defensive slice that's a little bit better or like a backhand but because you know it's going to be most most often a neutral shot he should approach the net on those like he, he has the control of the rally he should do it um and i think that's the only thing that he can do like to to compensate for that because if he doesn't have the attacking shot from the from the baseline he needs to finish the point early uh not earlier but in a different way like he doesn't have to go to the net on like crazy approach shots and p- play insane volleys like Djokovic does or Akras is doing um I think he can pull it off I don't think there's something that's like beyond his his improvement scope um he just needs to be good enough in my opinion yeah yeah and I I think that I I totally agree with that yeah. and I think that thing you said with Murray and his forehand that falls under the improvement thing that I'm talking about as well like Murray it, it's just not going to happen that his forehand is going to get better. You know what I mean? Like it's because it's, it's been the same. Um, it's been the same forehand for all this time. Like it's, it's exactly what you said. Like he's, when he gets ahead in the point, he's going to hit these offensive shots that are kind of passive. And so it's like, it's not, he's not going to develop that Alcaraz forehand. It's about maximizing that kind of offensive, kind of passive forehand, um, you know? And so like, it's going to continue to be a thing for as long as he plays and um yeah I, I but i totally agree with you about the the net for medvedev like these things like you can you can make little improvements you know and so like he's not he's not ever going to start volleying like Djokovic or alcaraz but like we we have seen him volley effectively just like we've seen murray hit his forehand effectively it yeah. is possible so yeah i mean I, i'd like to see that from him too i think just to just to be a little more unpredictable and i think um yeah, because with Medvedev, I mean, I kind of hate to say it because I I like his game a lot, but that that match against Alvarez at the U.S. Open, I think uh, it almost feels a bit like a freak accident, if you know what I mean. Like, I it's just like I can't imagine him playing that well in such a bad matchup again. You know what I mean? I feel like if that match happened again the next day, it's like Alcaraz destroys him with a certain mm-hmm. volley. Those angles that Medvedev hit were just. They were just so amazing. Like, how are you possibly supposed to reproduce those? And um, you know, I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit because Medvedev did hit a couple of those uh cross court forehand return passing shots against Sitter when Sitter tried to serve and ball. Like he has he he can hit that shot. I just think he can't no one can hit it that consistently, except maybe yeah. Rob. Um because he's like the passing shot king. Um but yeah, I, I think with Medvedev, he's just kind of working with what he has and Sinner I think has I think that ceiling is higher I think Sinner is still kind of improving at a faster rate um and I I don't really know where that's going to stop so I'm I'm excited yeah Yeah, Sinner is a it's a type of player who um has been across for a few a few times it's not for no reason so he has good weapons he's a good player his technique is really solid and easy power from both wings has a few other issues with the sense of like, oh, he can't really hit this slice all that well. Well, like, who cares? I mean, he doesn't need too many like yeah. knifing. Yeah, he doesn't need to knife uh, slices all day long. Like, it's it's okay. Like, he has other tools to compensate and and you know hit defensive shots of an open stance, like um, it's a two-handed backhand and things like that. It's it's fine. Um, he has more than enough in his arsenal to compensate for like his weaknesses. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to see it. They are both going to be at the ATP Finals, which, by the way, is like the tournament that I'm I'm excited for, in a sense. Like, I, I think it's going to be a good tournament. I just wish it was this week or, or last week because it's like, oh, man, like, we still have another massive 1,000 to go. Like, what's the point of this? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if you saw, but Ben Rothenberg tweeted recently, like, uh, if hot take, but if you're going to go to Paris, you should watch Paris Percy instead of Roland Garros. And I look like nothing nothing against Ben, but I just, I was just thinking like, man, when have we ever seen like good matches in Paris? There have been like two, like, remember that, that we had the Djokovic Federer one in the semis five years ago. Amazing match. We had the Djokovic Medvedev final two years ago. It's pretty good, but like everyone's wasted at this point in the year, you know, like it's, you know, it's just not, I just don't think it's needed. Um, but yeah, sorry, quickly. One more thing on center. I think, about him beating Alcaraz, he matches up better with Alcaraz than anyone else on tour. Like, he he can make Alcaraz panic in a way that even Djokovic can't. Sinner has beaten Alcaraz, like, in a 6-1 set, I think a couple times, like, in a 6-2 set. Um, he, like, 
it's pretty amazing, you know, like, and Djokovic hasn't been able to do that to Alcaraz besides when Alcaraz cramped at the French Open. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, and I think that tells you, like, how good his game is, you know, like, Alcaraz gets suckered into trying to overpower him and it doesn't work. And it, like, when Sinner plays Alcaraz, he looks for all the worlds, like, you know, multiple time major champion. So, yeah. I'm, yeah, I, I want those two to play again in a major soon because I think because uh, the the two times it happened, Sinner won comfortably and was match point away from winning in four at the U.S. Open. Not mm-hmm. uh, who knows what would have happened if he won that one. So, um, yeah, I think it's a matchup. I I I think it's good for tennis too. Yeah. I think it's the best developing rivalry. Like Medvedev Pass is like still fun. It's still like. Fun, fun origins and everything, but it's like it's clear at this point that those two are not going to be like the the level of career that we once thought was possible, you know. Yeah. And I think like, Alca- like Alcaraz has already surpassed them both, and I think Sinner, uh, while like you know it's too soon to say, but he might be on that path too. So yeah. um, I-, I think just the athletic stuff they do when they play each other uh, is amazing. So I'm I'd love to see them play in like the Australian Open. Yeah. Sin- yeah, exactly. As things go, I feel like uh, an Australian Open across center match is going to be amazing. Like, hopefully this happens and hopefully it's like a five setter, like a ridiculous one like they did at the US Open. In the final. Sorry? Winner plays Djokovic in the final. I don't even know. Like at, at that point, if if we, if if they're waiting for Djokovic in the final, I think I would want Alcaraz to win that match just due to the, yeah. That that's the one thing with Sinner. Yeah. Like besides the five setters and the majors, he hasn't he hasn't figured out how to play Djokovic yet. He's not like I don't know. I thought that watching um I wonder if him watching Alcaraz beat Djokovic in that Wimbledon final would have changed anything. Because yeah. like I think if he's I kinda hope he thought like, Oh, that should have been me. You know, like I I maybe could have done this, which like I don't know if that's true, but maybe it maybe that could motivate him because he he has a lot of the same skills as Alcaraz I don't think he's as good um you know maybe he will be in the future but it's you could follow that blueprint you know like he's got a huge forehand he's fast he can come to net um just can't miss your best shot on the biggest points yeah on that note I guess like because you're so similar and I've been thinking oh I mean they are so similar and I've been thinking as well like about this um what do you think Alcaraz does that that makes Djokovic struggle? Or as in, like, how uh, does Alcaraz push Djokovic so much when a lot of players aren't really able to? And Sinner probably isn't able to at this moment. I So I think it's a combination of things. The thing that came to mind first was the speed. Like, he he can defend Djokovic. You know, like, he... I, I think we've seen this pattern a few times. You know when Djokovic hits that angle forehand? Mm. Yeah. Uh, Alcaraz, like, he will, like, get to it. And Djokovic will have, like, a cross-court backhand into the open court. And I've seen two or three times between Wimbledon and their Cincinnati match, Djokovic either hits that backhand in but can't get it past Alcaraz or he misses it. Um, that happened in Cincinnati. Like, he had a cross-court backhand into the open court and he just, he just missed. And so it's like, so the speed gives him trouble. You know, Alcaraz can actually rally with him. Um, and then I think it's that... And then the return, the return of serve, he destroyed Djokovic's serve at Wimbledon. And then I think the combination of that forehand and the drop shot, because you can't, you can't cover both. Um, yeah. And I think it's like, and it's interesting because Sinner has a lot of those same things, but like he's not quite as fast. I think the forehand probably misses a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I don't know the return stats, but, um, like I think the drop shot is not quite as good yeah. um, so it's like but it's like not but it's like a 2% difference you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's like really not much so I feel like if he can if he can make up that difference which is not easy like then he could be right there yeah I think just specifically the, the drop shot I think Akras does it almost like no one else on tour um, he rivals with Djokovic with the timing of like when he picks to choose it like when he's playing well Um and just the forehand, like, I think the, the best way to, to describe it is, like, Alcaraz himself said it, like, oh, when you have a big forehand, like, you push people so far back in the court and it's going to hit a drop shot now. So, yeah, just so often and so often it works because it just has, like, the, this vision. I think just tennis, 
right now tennis IQ just like just the the vision of Alcaraz is better. Um, and I think the reason why maybe the uh, Sinner just beats Alcaraz is just really just I think it's a technique issue, like in the Sinner, especially on the forehand side. I think Sinner's forehand is like more compact. He can like rush Alcaraz's forehand a lot yeah. more than uh, than Djokovic can do with Alcaraz, for example. And Alcaraz just breaks that pattern that Djokovic does because Djokovic's forehand is not as potent as uh, Sinner is. Um, of course, Djokovic can hit a, a hard forehand, but he's not going to do it on a consistent basis. He's going to do it at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting. And I'm getting really off track now, but yeah, it like do you also notice even though Alcaraz's drop shot is so good, like it doesn't like he never really executes it that well when he yeah. plays. It's like he's like over conscious of the defense because he. It's weird. I think the time he used it the best was the first time they played. But since then, like mm. when they played at Roland Garros, I don't know if he hit more than like two good ones. Um, Wimbledon, it started working a bit better towards the end. Um, but most of that match was kind of the same. And then Cincinnati, I missed most of that match. But so I don't really remember it being a huge thing. But it's funny. It's like it's like against everyone else, it's natural. And against Djokovic, he kind of forces it. Uh, yeah. That's it. Yeah, I think Djokovic also has the quality of like just being like just glued to the baseline. He doesn't really backtrack that much. He's not like if he's defending that far back, it's probably because he's already so 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 much uh, in the defensive position that like you're almost guaranteed to win the point. Like, but even still, sometimes he wins it. But anyhow, uh, uh, yeah. So there you go. This is a sinner. Um, Sinner's new challenge is beating Djokovic. <laughs> And maybe Medvedev in a in a in a Grand Slam. So yeah. And the other the other champion, the unlikely champion in Felix Ogeliasim. I'm not even afraid of saying that because like seriously, like who expected Felix to win a title this year of all years? I expected uh, Felix to win a title all the years that he didn't, but not. And then like he comes in, in this year and he's playing some of the worst tennis he's played in his life. Uh, Okay, wait, wait. Yeah. Do, don't don't you work for Tennis Canada? Are you even allowed to be saying these things? Well, I am allowed to be saying this because I'm not there anymore. But yeah, sorry, Felix. You're, you're still a great guy. Uh, I still love your fighting spirit. But everybody knows that he was not your season. So um, yeah, just but honestly, great to, that he was playing that well, like in, in Basel. Um, I think the turning point really was playing Shevchenko when he beat and he beat him in match point down almost cramping on his like right leg could barely push for his forehands um and he just stayed there like uh, i feel like when he was entering that match i was thinking to myself well shevchenko is playing in the best week that he's played uh in his career so far um he's got a good game he's very speedy like his his shots are decent like he it's not exactly the same power as Felix has, but like he can find good angles, a lot of spins. Um, backhand is really solid, um, and Felix is right, right was riding on some confidence, but not great. And he had the experience on this side. That's the only those are the only really things that he had like ahead of him. Um, and he was match point down. I was thinking, well, this is it. I don't think he can pull it off. Um, and then he just stayed solid. Just didn't really choke on that one. He was great, uh, and I was like, "Man, this is this is good." Why, what happened all the year? Like, where were you? <laughs> but yeah, it just pulled it off. And I think it, the craziest stat, like in the final, I think he won like over ninety percent of his first serves. That that first serve is massive, man. Yeah, like it's so good. And it's I think he kind of has that center thing where it's like the talent is there. Yeah. you know, like his ceiling is incredibly high. Um, I think a lot of the bad matches he plays are not not because of his game i think yeah. it's i think it's because of kind of the way he's choosing to play and mm-hmm. maybe some mental issues because like i've i've seen him play when it clicks and it's like not only does he serve huge like he covers the courts really really yeah. well he's hard to hit the ball past yeah. um you know go watch his uh his Australian Open match with Medvedev or Roland Garros match with Nadal last year, if you want to know what I'm talking about. He is amazing. He's super athletic. Um, and then you watch him at his worst, and it truly looks like a different guy. So I'm I'm really glad to see uh, to see him playing well. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, just a big shout-out to Felix. Kind of really well-deserved title. Like, he had to work hard for it. Um, 
And yeah, I guess this is it. Like, let's see like how that translates for the, I guess, Paris now, because there's not much of a rest of the season for him. He plays Davis Cup next. So this is always good. I think he he enjoys playing it. Um, he's going to be fresher because he's played less tennis just out of the sheer fact of his losses. But um, he's, who knows, uh, maybe winning this title, like maybe just having a good run in Paris, like reaching maybe the quarterfinals or something. He's also unseated. Um, but he plays, I think Tsitsipas is the first seeded player he could face. Um, so it's winnable. Exactly. Tsitsipas on hard courts. So yeah, I'm I'm looking for, I think he's got a good chance of like making a, making a run out of it. Um, but yeah, like hopefully he he pulls off like another title for Canada in this weird Davis cup format, but it's still the Davis cup, but you know, hopefully he goes back to what he was at some point in history, but yeah. I guess that this is it. This, we've covered everything. Another, uh, I think I already said a shout out for Bia Haddad Maya, but another shout out for her to win both the doubles and the singles titles in the Elite Trophy, which is the doubles titles doesn't count for points, but I mean, it's good brownie points, I guess, uh, and money. But anyhow, um, yeah, thanks so much, Owen, for participating. Hopefully, you're resting for the tennis burnout. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I I will watch for tennis soon, hopefully. Um, yeah. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. You can follow us on Twitter at Tennis and Bagels. Um, Owen is at Tennis Nation. I'm at Rollenberg Andre, I think. Uh, and Fonshi is at Fonshi TK. He's not here, but he will be here soon in the episodes about the WTA finals, which is happening this week, as we've mentioned in the beginning of this podcast. So thanks so much for listening. I'll see you guys later. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.